this is Sylvester McCoy. Uh, you're listening to Who Made Who and uh, Me Made Me. And uh, my mother and father did the same. You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. But I am the doctor. I am your future self. Sunglasses. The Sonic. Indoors. Come back alive. Be here when I do. I will stop you. I will stop all of you. new episode of Who Made Who, Cinema Geekly's Doctor Who podcast. It is Anthony Lewis along with Aaron De La Osa. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Tony. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, and uh, Ben Knight. Ben, welcome back. Yeah. It's been since like July since we got to talk about uh, I know. the Doctor's A escapades. happy Christmas to you both. And to <laughs> happy, all <of> Christmas. <laughs> happy Christmas to everyone. Uh, so we are here talking about the Doctor Who Christmas special, Twice Upon a Time, the finale of Peter Capaldi's run, the beginning of Jodie Whittaker's run, and there were also some guest appearances as well. Uh, David Bradley playing the First Doctor, Mark Gaddis playing. Uh, well, Mark not, Gaddis. Not playing. <laughs> Does Gaddis have that uh, that mustache usually? Is that his like regular facial hair? That's his uh, going out facial hair. That's when he's going out yeah. on the town. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, I, from the pictures, I think everybody assumed it was a left bridge Stewart that he was playing, uh, and it was. It just wasn't the. It was like the father of the the one that everybody assumed he was playing. Uh, so it's only a slight subversion there. Uh, and I was joking with you, Ben, when you were talking about. Uh, I think you were trolling us earlier on when you got to see the uh, the screening, talking about you couldn't believe they got Eccleston back. Uh, <laughs> And we were guessing as to who actually did show up. And I oh, sort of, I was so bummed when Eccleston didn't show up. I was like, <laughs> God damn it, you got me. I sort of jokingly suggested that we'd see Nardle again. I figured we weren't going to see oh, him again, but lo and behold, he fucking shows up. To, I'm sure to the delight of you, Ben. Yeah, well, I mean, it could only have been better if uh, Danny Pink were there. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we, we, we came close. We were one step away. Uh, we were one step away because Jenna Coleman was back in this episode, uh, reprising Clara for about twenty seconds. Well, it's good because I I don't think I don't know about you guys, but I didn't I don't think we ever saw enough of Clara. No, <laughs> didn't get enough. Didn't get enough series, enough years, uh, not enough hours. No, just far in your day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the episode. Uh, let's talk about what happened. So we begin at the South Pole. Following his encounter with the Cybermen, the First Doctor refuses to undergo his regeneration. While walking back to his TARDIS, he encounters the Twelfth Doctor, who is in a similar state of mind after his ordeal with the Cybermen. 
uh, before the pair encounter a confused in- and injured World War I British captain approaching them. All three are abducted by a large spaceship, where they meet Bill. Uh, kind of. Uh, the Twelfth Doctor doubts if she is the genuine, real Bill. Upon entering the ship's, uh, upon encountering the ship's pilot, a figure made of glass. Although that's not what I thought they were supposed to be at first, but uh, apparently that's what they are. Uh, they offered them f- their freedom in exchange for the injured captain, revealed to be displaced. Uh, from his battle in December 1914 uh, while in a gunpoint stalemate with a German soldier. Refusing to do so, the party escapes, and uh, they escape into the first Doctor's TARDIS, and uh, they go to Villain... Is it Villengard? Wasn't that brought up before? I kind of swore that name That name sounds familiar. Maybe I'm thinking of Valeyard. I don't know. Who also got a name check, of course. Did it? Oh. Yeah, it did. That's mm. right. Uh, they go in the first Doctor's TARDIS to the planet Villengard in the center of the universe. Alone, the Twelfth Doctor meets with the rogue Dalek Rusty, who we met way back in the second episode of Peter Capaldi's run uh, in Into the Dalek. Uh, he has taken refuge from the other Daleks that are hunting it. Persuaded into using the Dalek hive mind, the Doctor learns that the pilot and its ship, known as the Testimony, were created on New Earth, designed to extract people from their timelines at the moment of their death to archive their memories into glass avatars so that they can truly live forever. Uh, both doctors learn that Bill is a testimony avatar created from her memories. Seeing no evil to fight, the pair agree to return the captain to his timeline. Upon doing so, the captain requests the doctor <laughs> keeps an eye on his family, introducing himself... <laughs> <laughs> introducing himself as Archibald Hamish Lethbridge Stewart, an ancestor of the Doctor's close friend, uh, the Brigadier uh, Lethbridge Stewart, uh, and his eventual daughter as well. Uh, as time resumes, the Doctor uh, watches as the soldiers on both sides begin to sing Silent Night. The Twelfth Doctor explains to the First that he had deliberately shifted the Captain's timeline to the start of the Christmas Truce, the famous World War One Truce, to ensure... Uh, that his life would be saved. With the captain saved, the first doctor informs the twelfth that he is ready to regenerate and bids goodbye to him before returning to the TARDIS. Now alone with Bill's avatar, the doctor is adamant that she is not the genuine Bill, only for her avatar to explain that the memories are what define a person. To help him understand, the testimony restores the doctor's memories of Clara Oswald before they are joined by an avatar of Nardole. Yay! Uh, the doctor refuses to give the avatar's testimony, uh, to give the avatar's testimony of his life, uh, who respect his wish to be alone and leave after he embraces, uh, both of them. The doctor returns to the TARDIS, deciding to ultimately regenerate, but not before he relays some advice to his next incarnation. After the regeneration runs its course, the 13th doctor examines her reflection, uh, in a, was it in like a screen or something i don't know i wasn't yeah i was i was trying to absorb a lot at this point uh before the tardis becomes uncontrollable the doctor tumbles out of the tardis observing that the console room uh is exploding before the ship dematerializes as she as always towards earth below yes geronimo indeed uh so ben what did you make of the christmas special so did you watch it on christmas day as well i know you got to see the uh the advanced screening 
Yeah, so I watched it. It was about, I guess, a week in advance um, at the BBC down at Media City, and then I watched it again on Christmas Day, uh, which was interesting because that kind of you can get a sort of. I was watching in a room with other Doctor Who fans, and it was interesting to see their reactions to it as well, mm-hmm. um, in, in both those environments. But the, yeah, I mean. <sighs> I, I, a few things that I think are fairly obvious about it, I, um, I would say. First of all, is Capaldi's performance in it is one of the best in his run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has gravitas where it's supposed to be. I think he... Um, I like the fact that he's actually not the driving force in all of the episode, which, of course, is... It's a bit of a tradition now in the Christmas episodes that it, it's often about the, the supporting cast rather than the Doctor. Um yeah. Uh, and it tends to be because there's a build-up to you know a big shift in the story, often a regeneration, but not always. Um, so yeah, the I mean the return to Villengard. I mean it, again, there was there was some sort of fairly hardcore Gattis and Moffating in terms of the callbacks. You're right, Villengard is the uh, the weapons factory planet from the Doctor Dancers. Um, that you may remember it from Banana Groves and uh, Jack getting his um, uh, blaster swapped for a banana that grew there, mm. um, but yeah um so there's sort of um there's there's sort of deep dive references here and there and 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 you know it's nice to see rusty again it's always nice to see a demented dalek but no the um it was beautifully shot uh i tell you that was an interesting thing watching it on a a fairly good quality television in uh, i guess probably 1080 uh in a in a living room was probably technically um, a better quality image than the one I watched on the um, the thing at the BBC because they put it on a big projector screen, but it wasn't like a 4K screen or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was odd how very um, movie-like it felt uh, on on that slightly fuzzier screen. It, and actually, I preferred the feel of it with a little bit more grain to it and uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a sort of c- cinematography point of view, actually, it's it's almost it was whilst it was very pretty and very uh very sort of sharp and everything um obviously that was the way it was shot um i don't know actually maybe it was a little bit too clean it was a bit like when they you know when they tidied up star wars uh, it was just a little bit too clean um gattis played gattis well all right although he wasn't distracting in it uh, which no, he I sometimes can be yeah. uh, i thought it was nice to see toby um uh, i want to say toby winehouse um I yeah what yeah Whit, yeah yeah um yeah Whithouse, isn't it uh in he was the, in case you missed him he was the german soldier in the uh, in the trench mm-hmm. um so nice to see him uh an unfortunate british reference is the fact that the um that particular truce uh this is the second year in a row it's been used uh, for something on television mm-hmm. in the uk uh this was for doctor who and that was lovely and they did a nice job of it and that was good um, but uh, for some reason, I was still expecting it to turn into an advert for the Saint, uh, Sainsbury's supermarket, uh, which is what it was used for in a very long Christmas advert last year. Yeah. We have a. Tra- Do you have this in in the US? We have Wait, a tradition it was here. Used for, they used that exact like moment in the battle for a grocery store commercial. Yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Huh. So, uh, mm, I'll dig that one out for you. Uh, did you have, right, so do you have this tradition in the US of um, Christmas adverts on television? Basically, they, there's like a competition amongst some of the big retailers to make the most um, emotionally distressing Christmas adverts. 
No, not really. I think they all tend to go for heartwarming. Yeah, like like but it's when they overstep. They're all they're all basically just like you know home for the holidays. Like each one features someone coming home. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a hug over a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever muffins are being propped up. You know what or I mean? Or the M&M's well, run into Santa Claus or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Okay. Well, here we have a fine tradition uh, <laughs> of, uh, I mean, you can check some of that. The, the sort of, the kind of record holder, I think, for this is John Lewis, uh, which is a department store. Um, but the, yeah, so John Lewis, Sainsbury's, uh, I think Marks and Spencer occasionally go in for this and a couple of other big retailers. And the whole idea of these adverts is, you know, there, there must not be a dry eye in the house at the end of these adverts. Otherwise they have failed and people will be fired. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, there were a few moments during that scene where I was sort of expecting a Sainsbury's logo to appear on the screen, but that's just a hangover from last year. It's Damn two, you, Sainsbury's. These two people uh, holding guns at each other or something. Or, were yeah, you, you know, or, like, or, or over the scene where they're singing or whatever and coming together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'll just, actually, yeah, you need to Google. Um, in fact, just go and watch the highlights of the you know the the tearjerker uh, Christmas ads um, in the UK. It's a fucking weird. That is a weird genre of advertising. Yeah, dude, I'm watching one right now for John Lewis called Maz the Monster. Uh, oh yeah, do you know I managed to avoid seeing that at all it's, this year. Yeah, they're really like it's like a mini movie where they're trying to make you as emotional as possible. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Why are they it's doing just ham fisted as as Pearl Harbor? It really is. Um, <laughs> it's just ghastly. But yes, yeah, so if you can find the same one, it's great. Um, uh, David Bradley uh, still excellent as uh, First great. Doctor. Yeah. yeah, he really was. Some some lovely uh, the, the the morphing between the old footage and new. I thought was quite nice. Yeah, that um, was tremendous. Pearl Mackey, bit of a bit player in this episode, but necessarily so for all of the obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just I just thought this was really solid. I thought it was. I, I did, the only bit I didn't like is the bit that was the thing that was supposed to be the sort of magnum opus of the episode, uh, which was the the closing speech from twelve, the message to thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I I know how it came about. There was an article in the Radio Times uh, online today about how that speech was written. And I thought when I watched it, it sounds like it's been written by two people who can't decide whose lines are going to get cut from it. And so they just stuck them all together. And that is almost exactly what happened. It did Um, feel a little disjointed. So what what felt a little like odd for you in it? Well, so it was the, it was the repetition of kind, which really jarred some kind a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounded like well, again, I'm, I'm kind of pleased I read this article because it basically confirmed that, um, uh, that you know it, it was as sort of a little bit hamfisted as it seemed, yeah. which was that um, effectively Moffat wrote the first part of it. He, um, unlike on previous sort of departing last scenes, uh, he wrote he wrote this sort of pretty much the night before it was filmed. Because he was saying, you know, otherwise what you end up doing is writing the big closing moment and then trying to, you know, shoot around it. Yeah. Exactly. And it can be clumsy and messy. I think he's gone too far in the other direction because what we what we had this time was a, a final speech that consisted of the thing that he wrote the night before, plus an answer that Capaldi gave um, at a panel at a Comic-Con um, whenever it was, when a kid asked him about... Um, there are two questions. One was about the, the, what his name was, mm. as in what the doctor's name, and the other I can't remember what the other question was. And basically, he's just taken those answers. This is his, his explanation. He took the answers that Capaldi gave and just used those as the speech. Ah. I, 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 ah. I think 
between the skill of those two guys, Moffat and Capaldi, uh, I like they worked on it together, but I think they could have done better than that. Um, yeah, it's possible doing it on sh- such short notice didn't leave enough time for them to maybe mm. edit it properly. Yeah. I, I, I did like that part about, I, I kind of like that part about the children, like if their hearts are in the right place and the stars are in the right place. You know, they yeah. can understand his name or they can hear his name or something like that. I thought yeah. that was I thought that was really cool. Um I don't know, Aaron, what did you think of the episode? I liked it. Top to bottom. I mean, th- there was nothing to really complain about. Uh <laughs> other than the fact like it, I, I don't I don't know why in my head I expected maybe like a, a previous version of one of the more recent doctors to pop up as maybe a memory, but I don't know. That was just me just, just being you know, super hopeful. That's what but, I thought uh, we were going to get in the glass avatars. Instead of them showing like bubble videos of like right. future selves, they I would actually they morph yeah. into somebody's face or something like that. Yeah. There was such scope to do that. That could have been fun really as well. Yeah. And it would have been a great opportunity if they, if they had wanted, you know, if they'd been able to get Elkleston. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. were like, he literally know, we could have just stood it, there and like smiled once. You know what I mean? And, and, and rolled yeah. out like that would have been a fine way to They'll just reuse that same clip they used for the 50th anniversary where he's like, and now for my next trick. Oh, which yeah. What you will have said now three times. Well, he likes pulling tricks, man. He, he does love those fun. tricks. <laughs> no, it was awesome. Uh, it was nice to see Pearl Mackey back, too. I'll, I'll take any any form of bill we can get, whether or not she was real uh, or not. And I really just I love the fact that, you know, once they figured out you know what was going on how they weren't really villains they were just like oh i, I guess we'll fuck off now and they just split like within seconds mm-hmm. you know it was, it was a very interesting way to handle it yeah i thought it was a great episode i was really interested at how they decided to go a different direction from past regeneration episodes uh i mean outside of the fact that You've got the similarities uh, with David Tennant's Doctor where he held on to his regeneration for uh, a skosh too long as well. Uh, I'm going to take that as canon, by the way. If the Doctor refuses to regenerate for too long, his eventual regeneration causes destruction. I guess Matt Smith did the same as well. Uh, or is it with each, with, the, with each regeneration, it just does it get stronger maybe? Is it like the Highlander? It's basically like the sort of regeneration version of edging. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> never thought I'd think about it in that way before, but and now you'll Home never think of it truly another way. Lowered. Yeah, now I'll <laughs> now I'll never be able to think of it in any other way. Um, <laughs> they, uh, but other other than that, they didn't go for like sweeping scope. Like there wasn't like the uh, the epic score that David Tennant had behind his moment. There wasn't the massive like time scale episode that matt smith had with his this was way more small and personal maybe and do you think that was do you think that may have been a kind of um a, a sort of i don't know a, a thing for the for, for the haters of number 13 in the sense that oh, they didn't um, go in with a bang you went out with a whimper although i don't think you went out with a whimper but well no so, so what i mean like in terms of um I mean, there are a lot of people who are indifferent about Capaldi, uh, wrong people, as I like to call them. But yeah, the, yeah but exactly. But with um, I do wonder whether there was a kind of not making too much of a big thing about the regeneration with Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's disappointing if that is like they're trying to do it as quietly that. as possible. Yeah. Well, sort of. But it, I guess that's a really difficult scene to make, given that, you know, that people will be you know, really pouring over every second of it, looking for something to say, well, that's it. That proves it, doesn't it? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, I, 
just I wonder whether they were being a little overcautious. I, I mean, it's obviously the reason why there isn't um, there isn't really well there isn't any dialogue uh, from from Whitaker uh, at the end of the episode. I think well, that's she because says, like we we get her doctor catchphrase. Well, that's true. Say, what does she say? Doesn't she say something oh, like brilliant. "Oh, brilliant"? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So you get one. There's, you get... there's that. Yeah. Uh, well, you get a word. Matt, Matt Smith was only, you know, uh, once he figured out, like he 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 wasn't a girl. Like we got Geronimo, you know what I mean? It's just they yeah. dust him off, man. They, they hit us with their "I'll be back" right off the bat. So we're like, oh, okay, now we instantly can identify. Like, okay, so there's her, there's her thing. Yeah. Uh, you may, yeah, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Uh, I, I, I have I have taken like a long look at the you know the lower <laughs> third of the internet over the last few days because of uh, <laughs> those comments. So I'm maybe I'm just kind of stuck on that. I uh, yeah, I really like the uh, as Aaron pointed out, there was no villain in this episode. There was no bad guy to fight, no battle to fight. Really, they just realized... no real Christmas either. Even though it's like the past two yeah. years, like you know, there's no Christmas at all in these things. Well, I mean, you got oh, silent in the, in the trenches. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah, but battlefield Christmas. Sainsbury's Christmas. Yeah, uh, yeah. You got uh, so I yeah. I like that there was no villain. There was they're just like okay, well, I guess you guys aren't so bad. Let's just let's just go back to our ships. I like that. Uh, He's like, I don't know what to do when there's no bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's like that red do. dwarf line, isn't it? Why can't we ever yeah. meet anyone nice? Oh, it turns out you can. It's fine. <laughs> I uh, I loved all of the something we haven't talked about yet. I loved all of the interplay between Peter Capaldi and David Bradley's doctors. Uh, yeah. especially David Bradley playing his doctor with more than a twinge of old timey sexism and stuff. Or how about what, how about when he and Bill some of the scenes they had together? Oh my god! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they were great. Yeah, where she's just like, "Hey, I'm gay," and that look on their face. Right. I mean, she doesn't come out and say it like that, but I mean, they understand, and they're just like, uh, "Oh." Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thoroughly, uh, I, I loved. All of that interplay. I mean, and the, look, they definitely tease the stuff with Bill that she's, you know, a spy for them, and these people are actually sinister. Uh, they sort of teased it for a little bit, but you know, then the the reveal came, and they weren't they weren't bad at all. In fact, they're kind of doing a good thing. Right. Uh, although some would argue that, like, well, you know, now that means like nobody who ever died on the show, the few people who have, have ever really died, and we'll, it's theoretical that you could see any of them again at any point in time correct so, so some of the weight from any of that might have been lifted but it it, it also opens a lot but it's, of it's, but it's not like you know regular people can't go visit these motherfuckers and talk to their you know sure. their long dead grannies or whatever so i mean sure. you know deaths are still kind of permanent in a way yeah uh, i love how they went kind of deep cuts for the whole premise of this episode so uh this is based around the first Doctor's final serial, The Tenth Planet. And I, I'm i guessing in the original serial, there's nothing about him refusing to regenerate. But I guess the the, the story goes is that the, uh, the episode's director reportedly cut a line from the original script that suggested that the Doctor was going to refuse to give into the regeneration process. So they're, mm -hmm. they're basically using that and extending the narrative around the Tenth Planet to kind of do this episode uh this episode so uh, that's pretty deep cuts i guess uh maybe they're figuring look nobody who watched that original serial then you know nobody's watching that show or is watching this show so they're probably not going to notice uh but the internet always knows guys. well 
Uh, now, this it's interesting, isn't it? Because people are talking again about the the rules of regeneration and so on. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, I mean, you know, we've we've seen that redefined during um, Capaldi's run in, in in a fairly considerable way. Um, well, between Smith and, and Capaldi, and I, uh, I was going to talk very briefly, actually, if I might, about the um, uh, the big finish. Uh, productions because ah, yes. there's now they they touch upon a really interesting idea in in one of those just recently it's a it's a doctor number six Colin Baker episode um, uh, which is uh, the the sequel the very long overdue sequel to Trial of the Time Lord it's the uh, Trial of the Valiard mm. um, and uh, it's uh, incidentally for um, for people who remember Linda Bellingham in the first one, she's, uh, well, obviously it would be her final performance in Doctor Who as well, yeah. uh, on account of her uh, having passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but in that, they they start talking about Rassilon's first law of time and talking about, um, so that, you know, this meeting, the sequence of meeting them and things like that, but also start talking about um, the fact that it's effectively Rassilon invented a set of rules to stop Time Lords from... Um, effectively becoming more powerful or influential than him um ah, and i'm hmm. basically saying you know well this is nonsense so but people had you know had come to expect that they would uh meet their demise uh after 13 um incarnations yes so or 12 re- regenerations now okay so there's been you know jokes around that on various sort of episodes over the years and, and in the sarah jane chronicles as well it's joked about in that i think they say that I think I presume it was a joke. Anyway, they're talking about five hundred and seven possibly being the absolute limit. Um, <laughs> sorry, the BBC have already planned the next of them. And yes, uh, yes. Uh, sorry, only twenty. Yeah, Matt Smith didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it, it was they kind of brought about this interesting idea that really, you know, what you think you know about the way that the Time Lords operate, how they uh, govern themselves, how they, you know, how how they live, are all based on Rassilon's laws. And basically, that episode posits the idea that no, they're just all of those are complete nonsense made up solely, um, you know, to just to serve Rassilon's purposes. And yep. of course, you know, that's that's long since, um, you know, crumbled into irrelevancy. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I quite like that idea. But then it gave me another thought, which is that there's some explanation. It turns out, well, I won't spoil the the episode for you, but it turns out that that you know may, may not be everything it sounds like but they do come up with a really interesting suggestion as to why Rassilon might have done it if not for the purposes of um power and influence and it was the idea that after the 12th regeneration um effectively you know it's kind of like when cousins marry sort of territory you you, you get the sort of breakdown of the, the the dna to the stage where things start potentially to go a little awry or uh, you get sort of unexpected mutations and things like that Mm-hmm. And it's a slightly misogynistic, possibly take on it. But I wonder if maybe at some point they'll suggest that's why there's been a switch in gender. It was an unexpected mutation because he uh-huh. effectively he regenerated beyond his uh, uh, allotted number according to Rassilon's laws. Ah, possibly. And look, I mean, they look if they're digging from a supposed cut line of dialogue from the original series of Doctor Who to make a whole new episode, I, I mean, they could definitely uh, dive in uh, to the radio plays, which, 
yeah. I think we've both can I think we've all actually continually said they should do, especially when it comes to <clears throat> bringing back certain doctors and putting them on television more frequently mm. because they could still mm. totally do it. Yeah. Uh, I uh <laughs> uh my favorite uh moment uh, in the in the whole episode, by the way, is and I'm, I don't know if this is becoming a thing or not. I don't think it was ever a thing prior to Eccleston, and even with Eccleston, I don't think it was a thing with him. I think it became a thing with David Tennant, which is not just the Doctor's speech at the end, but whatever the Doctor's last words are. I think mm. kind of becomes a thing. At least I at least I think it has with uh, with Tennant and Matt Smith both have people remembering pretty vividly the the last thing they say is and uh capaldi's is of course doctor what was it it's doctor i let you go i let you go yeah which uh is great on like a multitude of levels like you can read into that uh from a number of perspectives you could look at it like uh uh like a reversal from david Tennant's line about i don't want to go you could look at it from uh, Peter Capaldi, the person who is obviously a huge fan of Doctor Who growing up, and he's literally letting go of the role. Uh, I'm sure there is probably somebody out there who has already written a conspiracy theory about how that line is talking Capaldi, about how... Capaldi wanted it in because he's now given up on Doctor Who after being a lifelong fan because of Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> actually, I was actually I was going to say it's a... it's a, Somebody has come up with a conspiracy that it's a symbol of men giving up the role of the doctor to the women folk but uh mm. which is by the way another way how i read into it but i didn't read into it sinisterly i kind of read it into it like it's you know it's time for a change and you know this person can give it a go but uh i i love that line because i just i thought it was i mean it didn't have like the i wasn't like you know, sitting there with watery eyes like I was w- when I watched David Tennant's for the first time or, or Matt Smith's or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I it didn't have like that. Uh, they didn't they didn't weigh on uh, those things more emotionally. But mm. uh, I still really I still really liked it. It was it was low key. But Capaldi's doctor always felt way more low key than David Tennant or Matt Smith's. And obviously, I think that was all on purpose. But because he's wordy, isn't he? He's yeah, he's. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's less animated but far wordier, which is uh, yes. that's that is Capaldi every bit as much as it is Moffat, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, I, I I still salute him as I, I think ultimately one of the, I think he was one of the best potential doctors. That's the thing I'll always say about him is he yeah. could have been so much better with better writing, which is why uh, when he gets stuck into, and I'm sure he will be getting stuck into some of the big finish uh, productions. I'm going to probably buy every one of them because I think mm-hmm. the quality of writing in those is often better. Um, I think he'll be awesome in those. Um, I mean, I wouldn't even say... I mean, I hear what you're saying uh, because I think some of the potential was was spoiled a little bit, but even then, I feel like he rose above so much of some of the episodes that were kind of just there. Mm. Even the episodes that were bad, like, I feel like he kind of shown in them um i still feel like there's way more he had way more good episodes than bad episodes but oh for sure and the the final series was strong yes uh they should have and could have been better uh and you're correct i think he would have been like an all-timer like a like a guaranteed i think all-time great doctor had uh especially like maybe his first series been a little stronger 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like they sort of yeah. Because you look at some went. of the look at some of the crap in that first series. Uh, mm-hmm. There there were some pretty dire moments. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Golden Arrow season. You know, you know, you know the one. Golden Arrow. Oh yeah. Yeah, there we go. Oh yeah. He found his he found his footing eventually though. Uh, so before we give any final thoughts, let's thank the good people of ThinkGeek. Uh, the holiday season is completed officially, but you know what that means, Ben? I don't know if it's this is the case in the UK or not, but this is how it always is in the United States. Uh, go buy Christmas shit for next year at extremely high discounted prices. Uh, because that is what they Boxing have. Boxing Day sales, right? Isn't that... Uh... I, I, oh, you know, I, I, I lost you for all of that, and then I heard Boxing Day sales. What was the question? <laughs> we're going to say uh, that uh, shortly after Christmas, there are massive sales on all Christmas items, mm-hmm. uh, highly reduced prices. And uh, think, especially if it is a Christmas themed item. And uh, in this case, I'm looking at a Cyberman Nutcracker, <laughs> which was $50. $50, you say? But because. That still sounds holidays, like it was a reasonable price at the time, though. Because the holiday season has passed. It's been slashed by eighty percent. Wow! It is ten bucks, guys. Huh? Well, I mean, that seems like a way better. I think I might get five of them. Right there, you go. This is a good time to do it. Yeah. Uh, head on over to uh, cinemageekly.com/thinkgeek. Oh, but their uh, international the... slow shipping. It will arrive for next Christmas. That's right. You can order it now, and it will arrive just in time for next Christmas <laughs> if you're in the UK. Uh, <laughs> I think Ben's intent on getting ThinkGeek to pull out from the the Cinema Geekly partnership by constantly mentioning the slow shipping. No, Is they really they, they describe it as slow shipping. They describe oh, it they? that way themselves. They do. Yeah. I didn't they realize do. they actually describe it as very slow. Shipping. Well, I'm actually going in the other direction and suggesting they ought to start um they ought to start a brunch maybe in the UK uh-huh, so that yes. uh, that you know you can share the love globally. Why That's not? Right. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, Aaron, any final thoughts on the Christmas special? Because it's gonna be a it's gonna be a time and a half before. Uh, yeah, when's the new Doctor? When, when do they come back? Yeah, the fall, September. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. like nine months. Wow. Yeah, we're gonna take another long break. I'll uh, I'll take that time to artfully craft new uh, cover art for the podcast because that's about all we'll be doing with this show until until then. It's gonna be pink. Um... Danny Pink. It'll just be a big Danny Pink. Just his face. Just uh, his... uh, Not just uh, pink. It'll be Danny Pink. That's right. On a pink background. Oof. With uh, the word pink spelled out in white, but going like horizontal, like filling it like a wallpaper. Nice. Nice. I like that. That's what we need. It's a bit ITV, (laughs) which is fine, because Bradley Walsh is going to be in it. (laughs) So Bradley Walsh, is he the companion? Yeah, so I understand. I mean, there's there's not that much detail out there at the moment, but no yeah, confirmation, he's... or has this been pretty much confirmed? No, uh, it's been confirmed. Uh, he's yeah, sorry, uh, go on. Uh, no, go ahead. It's been confirmed that he is going to be her first um, traveling companion. Right. This is the guy who's like the TV host. Yeah. He, well, there's he... two companions, though, aren't there? Yes, that's correct. There's two. Yeah. Yeah. So is one gonna not be old enough to be her grandfather? This guy's like uh, I can't remember who who's the other one. I can't remember. I did see it. I think Bradley it's a Walsh's it's a lady, picture. isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember. Hang on, I'll look it up in a sec. Um, yeah, I mean Br- Bradley Walsh is the one that troubles me because yeah, he's the he's the ITV, which is kind of out of the available channels. It's kind of the 
second most low rent um, available channels in the UK, uh, and it's uh, he he does the daytime TV quizzes. Uh, uh, he's recently been he's been in a couple of things in in dramatic roles. Uh, he was chase. in there are actually Coronation three companions, Street. fellas. What was that? Sorry, there are three companions. There's Yasmin, played by uh, Mandeep Gill. There's Ryan, played by Tosin Cole, and then Graham Bradley Walsh. Yeah. So there are three companions. So I guess that means he'll have a third of the of the potential to annoy. He was in Law and Order UK for several years. Yeah, now that's the one everyone says, ah, yes, but you've forgotten he was in Law and Order. Uh, two things about that. Law and Order UK um, was bilge, uh, I'm afraid. It, it just was. It was terrible. Uh, and I mean, to kind of bilge. Aren't they all, but... Jesus, that is yeah. terrible. It is. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, he's oh he's just bloody awful. So actually, yeah, the fact that there's three uh, companions, let's hope they're all simultaneous, and that the other two speak a lot more than him. The other two now, are are a bit younger, so I imagine they'll they'll be doing the bulk of the running. You know excellent, I mean? good. Yeah. Now, Ben, when you say bilge, I'm going to go ahead and presume you mean the British slang term, as opposed to the area on the outer surface of a ship's hull where the bottom curves meet the vertical slides. Uh, well, actually, those two are related. Uh, bilge, <laughs> the British slang term, refers to the jettisoned waste water from the engine cavity <laughs> in a boat. Therefore, it is sort of nautical waste, if you will. I see. <laughs> he's 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 ship shit. He, he he is, as you rightly say, ship shit. Tardis something got to have a tailpipe. Turns out, yeah, it does. And Americanized. I I Americanized it for you. There you go. No, I, I appreciate that. That's uh, what, what English is always needed. <laughs> that is. We've, we've totally perfected the language. Um. <laughs> well, what, what, one of your number has totally perfected it. I mean, he invented words like fake. Uh, he, that is true. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's reintroduced some words as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ben, did you have uh, any final thoughts on, uh, on the episode or Doctor Who in general before we get on out of here? No, I'm I'm just pleased that uh, you know it, it, it wasn't a dire episode uh, to go out on. That would have been really unfair for Capaldi, uh, and you know the Doctor's dead. Long live the Doctor! Indeed, uh, I thought the. Uh, by the way, I thought the uh, the cliffhanger was really good. Uh, it, yeah. it, it felt like a bit of a take on the Matt Smith one, but with much larger stakes. And why do they never regenerate outside of the TARDIS just for once? Like, are they always trying to fuck themselves over? I feel well, like, yes. Well, <laughs> ah, but I think... This, Is it a so way for them to test the new Doctor each time? Maybe like, here you go, fucker, and then, you know, bam, no, your well, TARDIS can't fuck. Oh, like, like the previous one is trolling the next one? Basically. Like, I let's think see you get out of, of this. Isn't it? Um, isn't there an argument to say as well that regenerating inside the TARDIS is uh, part of what causes the TARDIS to regenerate its interior? Ah, mm. uh, probably. Because we know that Witter's got an, uh, a new TARDIS. I know that because when I was at the she screening... She does. Well, yeah, and when we were at the screening the, the other night, um, the producer guy who was there was saying that... Because I've got some photographs of me with a TARDIS outside mm -hmm. that, uh, which you may have seen. And uh, that is Capaldi's retired TARDIS um, that is now taken out of circulation. So he was saying, if you yeah. you know if you want to be if you want to take a photograph with Capaldi's one, this is your last chance because it's being well, in his words, it's falling apart already. So, oh yeah. wow! Yeah. No kidding. So presumably they're going to redesign the outside of the box a bit, and yeah, it'll get a bit of a, a brand new, brand new redesign, obviously for the the flight deck and all that stuff. Yeah. 
uh, I'm sure. I, I've already seen the complaints about how they're going to girly it up and shit. There's going to oh, yeah, be a Vanity it, it, Mirror. It, it's basically um, going to look like uh, Umbridge's office. It's just going to be nothing but pink and cats. Yeah, it's going to have a Vanity Mirror. Um, it's, right. Uh, yeah, it's going to have a sat-nav for her to argue with. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can't be bothered making yeah, up a, any more lazy a tropes. Kitchen, but... A kitchen, of course, for her to bake things with for her male And don't forget, because of, you know, <laughs> being, you know, Time Lord, double menses, fellas. Don't forget uh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Jesus. <laughs> I can't believe unlike, some of the complaints of these people. Jesus. Unlike, unlike those assholes, I think we're all really excited to see. I can't wait. Where I, the show I'm, goes. Oh, I'm going to wait till fucking September. This is ridiculous. And, and I want uh, to see that Joanna Lumley as the doctor. I want to see that gag that she used um, in that. I want to see that gag reused by Whitaker as a nod to the fact that Lumley was uh, there first. I'm going to have YouTube that and, and watch that. Yeah, I'll dig that out for you now, in fact. Doctor was in fact a woman previously, if if not briefly. That commercial you sent is the saddest fucking thing. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Now imagine watching that just before Christmas. Jesus, I mean, man. Fuck. Uh, all right, actually, uh, yeah, 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 Tony, put, so put that commercial impressive. in the show notes so people can uh, see what we were talking about. <laughs> I think we need to spread the sorrow, uh, Someone... and that will do it. As long as somebody links me to it, I will. I will yeah, it, it, if you have anything this, to be happy about during the holidays, don't watch this commercial. It is the <laughs> fucking what a bummer, man. You will uh, be <laughs> well, terrible. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Who Made Who. Uh, we're gonna come back in <gasps> nine I've months. Sorry to interrupt, but I've just realized oh. I will have met number six uh, before we're back on. Really? Yeah. Um, I am going to a con in March, I think it is. Six is uh, Davidson? Yeah. Sorry? Six is Davidson, right? No, um, six is Colin Baker. Oh, Colin Baker, yes. Who yes, still yes. sounds like the Doctor, which is he does. Good. He doesn't look like him. Uh, oh, but, he does. Uh, no, 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 he no. He does no. not look like him. Uh, Colin but, Baker looks like a beach ball now, yes, but... He, he does. But here's the thing. When I meet Colin Baker uh, in March, I will look like Colin Baker uh, because, well, like Anyway, you got the idea. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm going to cosplay at the con that uh, he's doing. Excellent. And I'm doing a mashup one. I'm going to be... Um, <laughs> see if you can f- figure this out from the rather root one naming. Uh, I'm going to be 6 of 13. Oh, so you're going to be like... You're going to be like Colin Baker, but a Borg? I'm going to be a partially assimilated 6th Doctor, yeah. Oh, I love crazy. it. crazy. Now, it. are you going to go method and like get like the full perm and dye your hair and all that? I I have designed uh, oh I have I have designed what can I be described as a an ambitious way around that hair problem. <laughs> uh, excited excited to see these results. Oh, hopefully, absolutely. Hopefully this will result also in uh, you working your magic and getting us a, an ident from Colin Baker well, for the podcast. I, I'm going to try because um, last time uh, the the Casper one off of the main show uh, you may have heard is mm-hmm. uh, that that literally basically was me um, rugby tackling him as he was trying to wake, make his way through like the you know the stalls type area bit of the the con. Um, I really did just pin that fucker down and say record this. Uh, and he did say so fair play to him. I gotta, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna when we record another podcast, when we record mm. the regular show, I want you to tell the story in full so I can. All right. Well, then spoilers. I, I, I won't say it now. Yeah, go and listen to the to the main show, and I'll tell you the story. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm gonna try. And we've got an in on this occasion because um, I finally persuaded uh, Judy Hawkins off of Red Dwarf to go and um, sit on on one of the you know the, the autograph signing panely things uh, mm. at the one I'm going to in March. Um, so she can she can set this shit up. Um, it's it's all the the groundwork has been done. 
Good to you. Ah, excellent. Yeah. I look forward to the pictures and the possible audio. I know there will be yeah. pictures, but there'll the be audio. audio. There'll be audio, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> it, it'll just be you saying, "Say it, Colin. Say it." And no, I'm not says, saying Fuck it. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Ten <laughs> bucks. He's just gonna be screaming at you. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's it for Who Made Who for this week. We will be back in nine months, I guess. Jesus. Uh, for I guess. Uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com to check out the archives of the show. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. Just search for Who Made Who. Hit subscribe. And I guess that's it, guys, for Ben Knight and Aaron DeLosa. I'm Anthony Lewis, and we'll be back in September with uh, Series 11, Episode 1 of Doctor Who. I, there's probably no title, right? I haven't even fucking looked. No, I don't There's no so. title. The untitled first episode of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. Doctor Who.